Welcome to the forum this afternoon on the topic of addictions. I'd like to suggest before we start, though, that we have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father and Almighty God, we want to thank you so much that we can be here this blessed week together as brothers and sisters and friends, and as we've come together this afternoon for a very important and timely topic to discuss, one that affects us and many of our church families, we ask for the presence and the leading of thy Holy Spirit. We ask these things humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. See a few more coming in here. I'd like to begin by reading a scripture from um, the words of King Solomon, who was, the scripture says, the wisest man and one who thought much about the issues of life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 25, he says, I plied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and of madness. Addictions are a, a trouble for society as we have it not only here in the Western world, but I suppose all around the world. In every culture and every time, people have struggled with addictive behaviors, things that they become involved in and, and, and ultimately could become in bondage to. And how to deal with those things and how to deal with the reason we do the things we do. I think that question has been the preoccupation for serious thinkers probably since the dawn of creation. Just two quotes here I want to share with you. One by Heinz Georg Weddell, who wrote in his book about the pagan roots of temperamental teaching. He said that much teaching has emerged in the past centuries that is concerned with finding the answer to why do you behave like this. Now, this is a man who did a lot of research going back into Greek philosophy to see uh, where a lot of today's uh, philosophies may have had their roots. Um, renowned psychiatrist Carl Jung, who is known um, for a lot of his writings, he said the attempt of the human spirit to construct types and thereby create order out of the chaos within man is ancient. The attempt is ancient. And it has been for centuries, probably for millennium, that men, serious thinkers, have, men and women have thought, why do we behave the way we do? Um, this afternoon we'll have two... Um, um, presentations that are co-joined um, and also a testimony that's shared via video and I trust that will be a blessing for every one of us. I just would like to offer just a, a few points of perspective as we go through today's forum that we might keep in mind as we um, think of this topic of addictions. Um, maybe the first point that we want to share is that often this is a, a, a topic that it brings much shame and is often could be covered up. People don't want to talk about it, but yet we do have to acknowledge that it does affect many of the families within our churches and has even been things that brothers and sisters in the Lord have struggled with. And so I think it's important that we do not cover up and ignore and try to minimize any problems that we have to work through. And I just think that I want to offer that as a first perspective that there may be for various motivations uh, a desire to minimize, uh, perhaps because the shame it could bring to the family name or the shame it could bring to other groups of people. Uh, we may often have this uh, reflex to minimize a, a serious problem that someone has. We, we should not do that. 
Um, another point of perspective here is that for 1900 years, the Word of God and the Spirit of God have been adequate to help man with his spiritual needs, with his core need. That has always been the case. And so as we go forward and as we, um, as in our generation, just like every generation before us, has struggled with trying to deal with these uh, problems of sin and the problems that are resulting from sin, the consequences of sin, I think it's important for us that we keep this perspective today as a church that the Word of God, the Spirit of God, have, have always been adequate to deal with the needs of man. However, we also want to realize that a sin brings consequences which can inflict much damage on the body. And we, so we will want to be discerning on the impact on the body versus the impact on the soul. Um, I think there is a lot of literature today that is made available for us where it is an integration of, of modern psychological theory with the Word of God. And I think it's important for us that we be careful about integrations or combining the Word of God with something else, either which would have the effect of either adding to it or taking from it. Another point of perspective here is that though it is within us to seek happiness, to seek fulfillment, to seek all these good and, and uh, good things for us as, a, as people, the chief goal and chief existence, uh, the purpose of God's people, is not our happiness, is not fulfillment. That is not the ultimate goal as God's children, as the Church of Jesus Christ. It is, as Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And in doing so, we may often have to suffer many things in this life. We may have to suffer the consequences of our sins. We may have to suffer the consequences of somebody else's sins. Just as a point of perspective, our purpose in going through life is not to arrive at ultimately happiness, but at the will of God and serving Him. I think another uh, last point I want to bring out here is that um, as we have the biblical perspective, sin is sin. And when we have the... um, when we, I, therefore, I think we have to be careful in, in describing sin as disease. Sin can bring, and often does bring, uh, disease. Um, it can bring a lot of impact to the body. But uh, the mindset, uh, how we think about these things are important. Uh, somebody who is in sin needs to repent. Somebody who has sickness need to, needs to be recovered from that sickness. And if we think of sin as sickness and we just follow down that path, we might arrive at a point where we, we, we lose the morality of it all and we, we come to think that I can't do anything about it. It's just a disease I have. The classic example, I believe, would be alcoholism versus drunkenness. The scripture calls a sin a drunkenness. It may bring a lot of damage and it does bring a lot of damage to the liver and other parts of the body, to the mind and so forth. But I, just as a point of perspective, let's keep the distinction between disease and sin as we go through this presentation. With that, I'd like to um, ask to turn over to the brothers, Brother Eric and Eric, to um, go through their presentations, and I trust that God will uh, bless us through it. Good afternoon. Um, for those that don't know me, um, I was born in Hungary, raised in Germany, and about nine years ago, I married Stephanie Palanike from Windsor, and currently I'm working in a, a local hospital there in the emergency room. Um, part of mental health. Basically, someone that goes to the emergency room sees a triage nurse. Someone that comes to the hospital, though, with a um, mental illness would see me. 
So I deal with people with mental illness or addiction on a daily basis. I guess that's why they asked me to, to do this forum. Basically, let's get started. Just like Brother Mark said earlier, our body constantly is longing for happiness. We try to fill that void. People that don't know God try to fill that void with things that are of this world. And then there's hopefully us, that we know that God is the only way we can find happiness or fulfillment, fulfillment in life, and that's when we turn to him to get peace. Um, what leads to an addiction often is poor choices in life. Mainly it's a bandit fix. There's a problem in my life. I don't know how to deal with it, so I turn to something like alcohol or drugs. And certain individuals are more prone to become addicts. What I mean with that is not that it's something that is hereditary, but often upbringing has something to do with it because it's a learned behavior. If I come from a very dysfunctional family or my parents have constantly um, moved all over the place where from school to school I was going through peer pressure, um, I'm more prone to experiment with drugs just because I feel maybe very worthless or have very low self-esteem. Nobody wakes up in the morning saying, from today on, I'll be an addict. It is a one-time decision. There is a problem at that moment, and in that moment, I'm looking for some kind of a way of filling that void. And that turns into a habit, which then later on turns into a dependence. There's often an underlying problem. Some of the problems could be mental, a mental illness. It could be grief. It could be sin. There's something in my life that I don't want to think about, and that's why I turn to something that makes me forget about it. Like I said earlier, it is not hereditary, although many people believe so, and it almost seems that like it would be because often you see grandparents that might have an alcohol problem, and then you see the next generation suffering from the same problems. Yet it is only a learned behavior. You have to keep that in mind. Some definitions. It is a state of psychological and physiological dependence to a potentially harmful drug. Um, someone that has great interest in a particular thing to which a lot of time is devoted and dependence on a behavior or substance that a person is powerless to stop on their own. And that's again something I would like you to keep in mind. It is not something that we can stop on our own. Once we are at the point of being addicted to a behavior or a substance or alcohol, we cannot stop it on our own. Just a few interesting facts to put it a little more into perspective. It is the most costly public health problem in the US. And it's quite shocking when you read that 52% of adolescents have consumed alcohol uh, by the eighth grade, 41% smoke tobacco, and 20% have experimented with marijuana, which is, a, is on the rise. The numbers are going up on a real yearly basis. Approximately 70% of illegal drug users are employed, which again is very shocking because often when you think of someone that has an addiction, you think of them as being maybe, if you want to call them the low class, the ones that are maybe out of a job, very um, poor, uh, dysfunctional families, yet 70% are actually people that contribute to the workplace absenteeism. Nearly 32% of high school seniors use marijuana on a regular basis. And some people claim that marijuana is not addictive. It is not addictive 
to the point that you go through withdrawals when you stop it, but psychologically it does make you dependent. Also, the, a slow economy, poverty often brings an increase of addiction, mainly because people now have more problems on top of what they already had before. Now, financial issues, often with financial issues because the world is so materialistic, marriages break and one leads to another where the only way to find a way out of it is by escaping reality, by being high or just drinking until they forget about their problems. Some types of the addictions, obviously there's far more. I had a whole list of, of like, they were in alphabetical order. Um, but the main ones that we're going to focus on is pres prescription drug abuse, illegal drugs, alcohol abuse, and tobacco use. And then Brother Eric Densinger will be um, focusing on the social and behavioral addictions later on, Ma mainly internet, gambling, exercise, and so on and so forth. Why do people turn to drugs? First of all, we have to realize that, like I said earlier, it is not something people choose. They don't do it because, no, they do choose it, but it's not something that they choose to be an addict. They choose to have a bayonet fix for that moment. It cannot start as a very innocent treatment for pain. Someone that had a hip surgery and gets painkillers, after a while, the same amount of painkillers will not do the job, so often the, pa the patient then goes up and increases the dose on their own, and therefore the body gets more and more dependent to it. it reduces, people do it to reduce stress, uh, to forget about the problem, we already talked about that, to feel happiness, although the happiness is very short-lived. And often, or most of the time, after the drug high is gone, you feel more miserable than before. Some people, feel they have to use substances to, to enhance their performance at school, or other people are just very curious about it. They hear that their friends and neighbors use drugs on a regular basis and seem to function in society, so why don't I try it too? Peer pressure is a big thing, especially in high schools. And people that suffer from low self-esteem are more prone to experiment with drugs and alcohol as well. Like I said earlier, it never starts out as an addiction. It starts out as something, as a poor choice, which then later on turns into addiction or dependence. It starts out as a casual use, and then the frequency increases steadily. Drug use, and there is a literature that proves that, does change our brain structure. It's not just something I stop and then the consequences are. There's no consequences. Even if someone is able to have victory and have perfect healing, from addiction, there might be some brain damage that someone will have to then live with after. Obviously, there will be strong cravings to the point that um, people will do things that they never thought they would do. And saying no to the substance will be becoming increasingly more difficult. And here I have an example to show you how there is actually a change on the brain structure. On the left-hand side, we have a normal brain scan, and on the right-hand side, an alcoholic. You see the here gray, but the, the black matter is far more. Basically, just it might sound silly, but just imagine the grape and the raisin. You have just everything is shrunk, and obviously through that, then your emotions will be different, your judgment will be impaired, your memory, you have memory loss, and so on and so forth. Signs and symptoms of addiction, you might see this sometimes in people, and you wonder why they're acting the way they do. 
up and down moods. They go from depression, from even feeling suicidal, all the way to euphoric and just too happy to be true. Very irritable at times. You find them being very fidgety. They can't control themselves, can't focus. Um, a change of pa pattern in their sleep. And that is often, I hear it often um, in the hospital where parents complain about their uh, teenagers that they went from a normal sleep pattern to now being awake at night and sleeping during the day. Very often the parents don't realize it is because the kids are out doing drugs during the night, and I'm not saying everyone does that, but there is obviously cases, and um, then sleep the buzz off during the day. Don't go to school, don't take care of the personal hygiene anymore, and their behavior becomes sneaky. They start lying, stealing, and this is where it's very dangerous because it shows that if a Christian falls into this where they become addicted of something, not only do we carry the sin of being addicted to something, it leads into far more sin. It leads us into making up stories just to cover up our tracks, and it makes us stealing things to be able to feed into our addiction. Our friendships deteriorate. Friends will realize that the person that I talked to before is not the same person anymore, and we can't connect anymore. The person is avoiding me. There will be new problems at school, at work. You come late. You can't pull your full weight. You can't concentrate. You get into trouble with the law because of drinking under the influence. Um, you become someone that constantly tries to find excuses why they do certain things. It is not my fault. I was brought up this way. Or they use um, the argument of having bad genes, not realizing that it has nothing to do with it. And those people tend to withdraw themselves from their old friends and find new friends that they can relate better to. And they definitely want to make sure that those two will not meet because the stories and the two conflict, basically living a double life. Oops, I think that was two. There we are. Some physical symptoms, red puffy eyes, sore throat, dry cough, um, weight loss or gain. Um, in an extreme case, you have hallucinations, um, sweatiness, very um, shaky, unable to focus, and the effects on the brain, it basically affects the part of the brain where our emotions, behavior, and long-term memory and olfaction is in. So all these will be altered. Nothing will be working the way it did before. You have to understand our body creates natural opiates. If we are in, in a stress situation, our body releases hormones that deal with the problem. And if we do drugs, the endorphins are released in a higher rate so you have to imagine it this way. Now, someone that is an addict, in, in, in that body, you have far more hormones that are being released. And if that person now stops doing drugs, there's a double, there's a double, help me out, a double effect, thank you. Mainly because the body thinks, okay, I don't have to produce this hormone anymore because I get it every time when, I, when this person uses drugs, so stops producing the hormone. Now, if the person stops using the drug, we don't just go to zero. We actually, the plateau is far lower because the body is not able to produce the same endorphins anymore. And that's when the person goes through major withdrawals. I don't know if you've ever seen someone going through withdrawals. It is a horrible picture. And just last Friday, again, 
just three hours before my vacation starts, the ambulance comes, brings in a young man who was definitely withdrawing from something, unable to have a conversation, cannot, cannot make any conversation in any way. The only thing that com comes out of his mouth is like, I can't take this, I can't take this, take my life, kill me, something. I cannot do, cannot do this anymore. They strip themselves, they, they shake, they go on the floor, lie down on the floor, toss and turn, and cannot control themselves. At points, there could even be seizures. And that's where it's important that we do intervene. As much as we understand that there is a spiritual issue underlying, there's definitely right now a physical need that needs to be met before we can even start recovery. So, how can we help? First of all, the individual has to recognize that there's a problem. We often send people to detox um, to make sure that the body is free from any chemicals. And often it's in vain, it seems, because over and over we get the same people coming back in, and it sometimes goes on for years. I read statistics that sometimes it takes 13 years for someone to be in that low to finally acknowledge that there's something wrong with me and I need more than just detox. However, we send someone to detox because it is the first step to recovery. Some, someone that goes to detox and goes through the withdrawals three, four days now is drug free and you will not recognize the person. If you saw the person three days ago and you see it after the detox, they're calm, you're actually able to talk to someone like a human being again. However, they're not recovered. This is just, you just got the grounds ready to start the recovery and healing. So from that, it's, it's a long process to, to um, help someone to recover. They have to also realize they cannot do it on their own. They need, they need friends, they need family to support them in prayer. And they definitely need spiritual guidance. There is some medication available to go along with the withdrawals, so they're not so severe. And I have not heard one patient that would not appreciate the medication we give them to help them with the withdrawals because they feel so miserable. We also, in Ontario, have the privilege to use the ACC Counseling Service. Um, right now, like I said, only in Ontario. However, I believe in the States, they're working on it. And the Sister Church has also a very nice program where there's a lot of help. And I thought I'll leave you with this statement by a, a Christian psychiatrist. Grace, the freely flowing power of divine love in human life, is the only hope for true freedom from this enslavement. Eric, if you could help me. We're going to show you now the testimonies of, of a brother and a sister from California. They're both in their past have overcome addiction and they have agreed to be videotaped. I was raised in a Christian home. I attended church all my life. By 14 years old, I started seeking God. Not with my whole heart, unfortunately, but I did. By the time I was 16, uh, I had realized that uh, I wasn't interested in becoming a child of God yet, so I stopped counseling with the elders, I stopped attending church. I made a lot of new friends uh, at my job as well as at school, and um, combining that with the problems that I had going on at home between my mom, my brother, I just decided to you know live my life, enjoy life in the world, 
or so I thought. And uh, I uh, one day uh, decided to, you know, try a cigarette. A friend had some, and there's no pressure put on me to try it. Actually, it wasn't even offered to me, but I decided, hey, why not? I want to enjoy life. So I did try it, and from then on, I kept doing it. I, in a short time, I got very addicted. It felt terrible to be this addicted to something, to have to have one. Uh, after each meal, I would have to have one. When I drove, I'd have to have one. I was very bound to this, and eventually it just became such a bondage to me, and, and I felt so uh, horrible being tied down to this, this addiction. And... Uh, after living about four years like this, living without God in my life and living in sin and especially with this addiction that I had, I did hit rock bottom. And thank God he was working through different people and in different situations to call me back. And um, there was one particular time where some uh, an old friend from church had called me and invited me to go to Ohio for the weekend. For an event and my first thought was oh I'd love to and um, but after thinking about it I realized I can't I can't go the whole weekend without a cigarette and um, I had to decline it and, and I hated that I was so upset and really mad at myself that I let it get to this point where I couldn't even go in and on a weekend so um, thank God he did call me and there came a day and a moment when I just accepted and I knew that I was going to give everything up. I was going to change my life. And I didn't know how he would do it, but I knew that he would help me to get rid of this habit, this addiction. So I started um, counseling, you know, with the elder brothers again. And I, my whole heart was in it this time. I never wanted to hit rock bottom again. It was a horrible feeling. I, I was very miserable, very depressed, and um, I never wanted to feel that way again. So, uh, you know, I met with one elder brother on a Sunday evening after church, and, and he said, you know, it's time to move forward in your counseling. You know, let's start talking about baptism and so forth. And I just, uh, I was very embarrassed to have to admit to him, you know, there's still one more thing that I have to give up. I left the smoking for last because I just knew that it'd be the hardest thing out of everything I had to give up and out of all the restitutions I had to make, I knew that that'd be the hardest thing, so I left it for last. And, you know, when I told him about it, he he just said, no big deal. I mean, God will take care of it easily. He'll, he'll help you. And um, so I was, I drove home that night and I really just begged and pleaded with many tears to ask God to help me to overcome that habit. And so that week, I, I can't remember how many days it was, actually, but I know that by the following Sunday, I was able to go up to that same elder brother and tell him that I was done. So it, it took less than a week. God uh, took away the cravings. He even made me sick to my stomach from the smell of it, which was amazing um, because... I'd never experienced that before. I knew it was all God working in me. And, and it was amazing. I remember just being amazed of feeling God working in me. And um, <clears throat> um, 
another miracle he did as well is uh, many people who smoke, especially smoking a lot, uh, which I did, after you quit, uh, people tend to get nicotine withdrawal symptoms, and I never had experienced any of them, and I just know it was all God's doing, and I'm so thankful to him for that. Um, it was such a relief, and, and such a, now I got to experience true freedom, uh, freedom from from being bound to that sin, to all my sins, but to, to this addiction, it was such a release and such a freedom I felt, and it was wonderful. I was so thankful for it. I never thought I'd be able to be free from that. Um, many people prayed for me during that time, and I know that that helped. And um, I, um, I, you know, I never, even the thought never occurred to me to seek any professional help, to possibly look for those uh, nicotine patches or the gum, different options they have out there for people that are trying to quit smoking. I never even thought to try any of those. I just, you know, begged God with my whole heart and I had the faith that he could do this in me. Um, so I'm thankful that he did perform this miracle in my life without any, without the aid of, of a product or, or professional help. Um, I know that there are times people do need those and, and there's, you know, good in that as well. God works differently in everyone's life. Uh, but for me personally, I'm thankful that he did this because um, I can never look back and say, you know, I can never minimize his work in my life. I know it was all him. I, I can't give credit to to other means that helped me stop. It was all him. So I'm very thankful for that. I, I feel so unworthy and so humbled. And I hope that my my experience of this will, I hope, help someone. Um, if there is anyone listening that, you know, is considering smoking or already does smoke, uh, know that God will help you to quit. Um, he doesn't want us harming our bodies in this way. He gave these bodies to us to, to use while we're here on this earth, and um, it grieves him for us to do, to destroy our bodies like this. So, you know, you just need to have the faith, and you need to want to quit. Um... Ask him, and he'll help you. There's a verse in Psalms, uh, there's many verses about God helping us when we need it. And uh, one that came to my mind was Psalm 37, verse 40. It says, And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them, because they trust in him. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, didn't grow up uh, going to church or learning about God, ever hearing the word of truth. But somehow I still knew that there was a God, but I didn't know who He was. I didn't know the truth. And growing up in a broken family, in a broken home, there was no security, there was no foundation, there was it became empty and lonely and even becoming a rebellious young child um, I started experimenting with smoking at the age of 10 at a very young age, early age and smoking on a regular basis at the age of 13 
And then from there, from the smaller things, it got worse. And that's usually how addiction, addictions are... They usually start off with the small things and get worse. And I, I believe, as, as I can recall, that I was using heavy drugs, heavy drugs, at, at a regular basis at the age, by the age of 14. And it was a way of, of, of filling the, the of attempting to fill the emptiness that I felt. You see, I didn't have that relationship with God. It was just empty and cold and dark and, and oftentimes great, greatly depressing. And the drug use was there for me and it was a way to escape from reality for a moment of time. But yet it has a way of gripping onto you. And as with any addiction, no matter how small or how large it may be, it can take you to places that you normally wouldn't go, and you end up doing things that you normally wouldn't do. And I had tried multiple times to quit all drug use and to live a sober life. And I was successful at sometimes, even up to two to three months. But yet I always ended up going back. See, I didn't have that, that great power of God, that relationship with God, that extra strength that I needed to overcome and to be victorious. Didn't have it. Didn't know where to find it. I saw it. I looked. I tried many different things, but they all failed. And until... Later on, I ended up on the streets, homeless, without a place to live, no place to go, just to close my back. It was a very lonely feeling, a very difficult thing to go through. And then it was at one point, on two separate occasions, that I had nearly lost my life. I was right at death's door, right there. Death was facing me right in the face. On at two different occasions, two different individuals sought to take my life. You see, the the sin had nothing to yield but corrupt fruit. There was nothing good that came out of the addictions. They always led to something bad. And then the the second time I nearly lost my life. I remember crying out to God uh, uh, within myself, God help me. And God did deliver me from that moment. And as God delivered me from, from death at that time, I had eventually went to my grandparents and asked them for a place to live. And they took me in. And they invited me to church and they asked me to go to church one Sunday. And they were really kind about it. They, they didn't want to force me. They said, you know, we, we would like for you to come, but it's up to you. It's your decision. And I knew I had nothing to lose because I, I, I had nothing. So I went. And I remember hearing the word. And I remember hearing the singing. And 
I was convicted, and I was I was looking and and, and seeing is, is this God? Is this the God that I, I I wanted to know? Is this Him? And God really did show me through multiple multiple things that this is Him. This is the Word. This is the truth. And I remember singing a hymn, "Where Could I Go." I remember singing that hymn and listening to the words in, in, in the hymn. It says, Where could I go but to the Lord? When I faced the chilling hand of death, where could I go but to the Lord? And I knew that there was nowhere else to go but to the Lord. And it was through through much prayer and, and, and broken heart and, and much tears that I was able to ask God for help to overcome the things I needed to overcome. And it required all of me. It required everything, with nothing holding back. I prayed and asked God to help me with those addictions, with those things, those hard, the hard drug use that I was involved in, the physical addiction, the habits, the places that I had to go, the, the people I was around. God helped me through all that and gave me that power to be able to, to leave it. A verse that comes to my mind when one wants to overcome anything in their life, whether it be a habit or addiction or, or a certain sin, I think about this verse in Psalm 66, Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You see, if I want victory over something, but yet part of my heart hangs on to it, and I regard that, the God doesn't hear that, the Bible says. But it's when we give our whole heart, and we have no longer a desire to, to fulfill our lives with those things, those things that are not pleasing to Him, the sin. verse says, in Psalm 66, verse 19, says, But verily God hath heard me, he hath attended unto my prayer, to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. God be thanked, God be all the glory to him, because he can help. It is not God's will that any of us would indulge in our lives in sinful things. It doesn't please him. So therefore he will provide what is necessary to escape and to overcome. You know, many people, knowing some of my, my background, often do ask advice. Mostly, you know, parents and loved ones of those that are addicted. And my first number one advice is always, you have to give your life to the Lord, everything. And He can provide, He will help. But that's number one. Seek first the kingdom of God, all other things should be added unto you. I hope everyone's going to be able to see this. <clears throat> the text is... Uh... Okay, I was asked to speak on the uh, social and behavioral addictions portion of uh, this forum, and it was felt that uh, this would be relevant, especially for some, I guess, all ages. Um, there's, there's potential behaviors or um, certain social phenomena that can become addictive um, that display all the same patterns uh, and the same heart issues as, as uh, some of these other chemical addictions that we talked about. 
Okay, so just to start off, I'm going to give us a little glimpse of different kinds of things that could, be, could become addictive, different uh, behaviors. Okay, anyone uh, familiar with uh, this? This is the uh, portal to uh, MySpace. <laughs> Seems to be popping up a lot this week, maybe with good reason. And for the Canadians, this is a little bit more relevant. Facebook is a little bit more widely used in, uh, in Canada. I'll explain a little bit what these are. These are just social networking sites where you can sign up on the site and you get a, uh, your own personal web page that you can customize and put kind of whatever content you want on it. And the point is that you message then other friends that have uh, these pages on these, uh, these websites and you can uh, trade information, post photos, you can tag people in photos, there's a lot of handy features, there's bulletin uh, boards that you can uh, uh, send messages to each other. So it's something that's on, on the surface is pretty innocuous and it's actually it's a handy way of meeting people and uh, maybe friends you've lost touch with years and years ago. Um, but as with anything, uh, there are some dangers that can come with this and come with, with addictive uh, behaviors associated with, with these sites. Um, and some of the dangers, I talked to a, a few of the young people uh, that are on Facebook and um, some of the things that, can, that it can lead to is it can be a lot of gossiping that goes on uh, as you check out uh, your friends' uh, uh, sites. And uh, it's, it's parallel to what's going on in your personal life, in your social life, um, but it tends to accentuate certain things like um, uh, the focus on appearance because there's a lot of pictures that are posted so people try to uh, I heard after church events, sometimes there's a rush to Facebook to see kind of who, who had pictures of what, who was tagged where, and, and uh, there's a lot less inhibition to communicating online. So you can communicate with the opposite sex in an easier way, and those are some of the dangers of, of this particular uh, type of thing. But we'll see um, why it, it could be considered addictive. Um, of course, time-wasting is a factor, too, um, one girl I talked to said she, at one time she spent up to four hours a day on Facebook. So, um, that and, and voyeurism, just for those of you who don't know the term, uh, uh, to be a voyeur is that you, you have this unhealthy desire to watch other people's activities and look, look at what they're doing. And they have a, a Facebook term for this called creepers, is people that just go on other people's web pages and kind of see what they're doing and stuff like that. And it's kind of, it's a, it's not a healthy behavior, that's for sure. Okay, another, if you're not into that, maybe if you're of a, um, a certain demographic, especially younger males, uh, you may be into multi, multiplayer online uh, role-playing games. Uh, this is the most famous one, uh, World of Warcraft. And basically what they are, they're just online games that uh, you, you, uh, you can enroll in, and you play them, they're like real-time games that you play with other players online that are on the, online at the same time, and they're, they're pretty, uh, they can be pretty addictive too. Like, you can get binge playing where um, keep, uh, guys will spend you know, days online playing this game. Another one of those games is Final Fantasy. And uh, some of the dangers with some of this stuff is that it's because it's a fantasy-based thing. It's not really reality. You get totally involved in this world. Uh, it's artificial, and there's overtones of the occult and things like that. And this also can become an addictive behavior, too, when you look at uh, uh, what certain people can do when they're involved in this. Um, and, of course, if you... Um, like to get outside, and you think, well, these are unhealthy behaviors associated with inside. Well, there's also the possibility that, you know, you could take things too far in terms of exercise as well. Um, certain, certain young guys walking around here that I see, they're really well built, and 
that, I know that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a big chunk of the day. And, and that, that can actually become addictive too, where um, if you don't uh, get your regular workout in, you really feel um, irritable, bummed out, that you just you missed something that was really important. Um, and you can actually get a, a physiological high from that too, that you look forward to that and it can become really important. And some of the dangers involved with that kind of thing is that it can lead to self-love, that you're focused on your body and, and carnality and how you appear to the opposite sex. And it can be, you know, two or three hours of every day or whatever. Or I don't know how long. Um, I don't, I'm sure people don't usually work out that much, but I heard that that is a, a, a problem. Obviously not with me. Okay. Uh, let's just... Uh, before we... Um, I guess I should say, of those, those the ones I highlighted there, I, I should say they're all socially acceptable and they're the norm in society. They're not, you know, it's pretty controversial whether those behaviors are really considered addictive in the secular community. But uh, what they can lead to, those behaviors, that they have unhealthy consequences. So just because something is socially acceptable that you spend all your time on Facebook or you spend your time working out doesn't mean it's spiritually healthy. And we don't take our standards from the world in that regard. So I'd like to just address the question, is technology or exercise in and of itself bad? And I think we can obviously say no. It's, it's computers are, you know, they have the potential for evil. They have the potential for good too, right? And the scripture that I thought that was applicable here is, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And a lot of times... Uh, with these kind of behaviors, you have been brought under the power of it. When it gets to a certain point where it has become so integrated into your life, uh, you can't do without it, and you derive a lot of uh, value and meaning and importance from it. And you have been brought under the power of something that may be lawful, you know, something that may be of itself uh, healthy. Um, the other scripture that I thought would be applicable here, and, and how I want to tie this into those more, what we think of when we think of addictions, like chemical addictions, is that well, with these social addictions or behavioral addictions, yeah, they're not as severe. Often, they're not as severe as the chemical addictions, but they do display the same addictive patterns and ultimately the same heart issues. And that's where we're going to go with the rest of this presentation, that it really is the same heart issues that, uh, that you're dealing with. And here we, uh, the, the, uh, I quote uh, from Jesus, There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, these are they that defile a man. It's what's in your heart that comes out. It's not the behavior necessarily that you're engaged in. It's what it is doing to your heart and, and what, what is in your heart that will drive you to do these things, these various behaviors. Okay. Um, I'll, I'd like to also give a, a definition of addiction um, to just to kind of... And then compare that definition to these behaviors that I kind of highlighted here. So what is addiction? And uh, this definition I pulled from the Sister Church website... It's a, it says, a compulsive or physical dependence upon a substance, person, or behavior that provides temporary sense of well-being. Addiction results in harm to the person's ability to function. And by that we mean it could uh, result in harm to their health, um, to their relationships, to their spiritual life, to their vocation, to their work, uh, to their finances, um, to their emotional well-being. So any kind of... Um, thing that you are a substance person or thing that you are dependent on that provides a temporary sense of well-being and that does result in damage to you. Um, and so, so how do social addictions or social behavioral addictions fit this definition? Well, one, if it's a compulsive dependence. And here's a good test. Try taking it out of your life. See what happens. Go without it for a week, two weeks. Is it something that's 
you have to do compulsively. When you have some downtime, you, you automatically turn to that, and you know this is what's going to fill my my uh, my hours, or I build my day around this. It's that important. And as we've seen, some of these behaviors, when they become addictive and unhealthy, they can result in damage to relationships, to spiritual life, and even to health. Um, in, in the sense that you're focusing on carnal things, you're taking time away from activities, spiritual activities that, that you're called to do. Um, and they can also result in a breakdown of healthy family relationships. I saw some complaints online from uh, one husband who's complaining his wife spends all the time on Facebook now, and, and you know their marriage is, is kind of... <laughs> if you're neglecting your, the other relationships in your life... Um, Obviously, we're not meaning to demonize a, a particular technology here. Well, if you're not convinced that these things, are they the same as alcohol and drugs, I would say it's the same type of pattern here. And it was kind of interesting. I, I was reading a book on chemical dependency, and he, uh, the author had a, a series of questions that he used in there to, uh, uh, that he said, this is a simple test that, that clinicians or diagnosticians use when they're trying to determine if, if something's addictive or not. And so I have these here, which you're not going to be able to read at all. <laughs> but I'm just going to highlight a few. of These are a series of questions that, that are used to determine alcohol and drug dependency. I just replaced alcohol and drugs by behavior, so I'll read you a couple of them. Is the behavior used to build up confidence or reduce shyness? Has the behavior been used in an attempt to escape life's responsibilities or the consequences of responsibilities? Has your ambition decreased because of the behavior? Is the behavior affecting the quality or dynamics of your relationships at home? And there's a whole other list there um, which you can go through. And I just wanted to draw the parallel that way, that these things can become addictive in the same way, maybe not to the same severity, but in the same way as uh, chemical uh, substances. Okay, now the rest of this, I'm just going to focus on what causes addiction. What is the heart issues? What are the heart issues that are involved uh, here? Well... I'd like to first ask, you see these different words appearing up here. We all, at one time or another, experience these emotions. Um, I would say that these emotions are in and of themselves not sin. We experience them. They're, they're either through disappointments, we, uh, we feel, uh, or boredom at certain times. The question is, what do we do when we experience these emotions? Um, oops. Sorry. I went too fast there. I would suggest that that if we turn any, to anything other than God or God's supply, then that would be idolatry. So what we turn to when we experience these emotions, do I turn to an activity, a behavior, a substance, um, or do I turn to God or something that he has supplied, uh, like his, the relationships he's supplied? If I turn to anything other than God or what he has supplied, that's considered, that is idolatry. That's God's definition of idolatry. I've looked to to God for something. Uh, I've looked to something other than God to supply my need. Uh, so idolatry is looking to anything other than God to supply our needs. Um, I should be clear that God uses many different things to supply our needs. He uses relationships. He uses the church. He uses brothers and sisters. There are many ways that he supplies our needs, but um, if we look to anything other than he has supplied, and we can determine that through his word. We, we, through reading his word, we can determine what his supply is. And what I'd like to focus on as the text for that is Deuteronomy 5, 6, and 7. The first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. So the first commandment starts off, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God is emphasizing, I'm the one who's done this for you. I'm the one who supplied your need here. Don't turn to anything else. 
to think so that, that you think will supply your need. I'm the one who brought you out. Idolatry is ultimately about self. Um, it, the, as, the, as the passage goes on, it says, Thou shalt not make thee any graven image. It's about yourself, about your needs, uh, about I need it now, I need this now. And a good way to determine if, if you have an idolatrous heart or if, if this is a problem in your life is to ask yourself, well, how important is my happiness and my comfort to me? Because ultimately, if those are the most important things, if those are what's driving my decisions in life, I have happiness and comfort set up as the, the idol, the thing that's going to provide what I need. I'm looking for happiness and comfort, and that's the most important thing, and I'm not looking to God. All addiction is, is being brought under the power of the idol that you've created. The thing that you thought that could supply your need, that'll make me feel good now, uh, I have this need, an emotional need, or I'm feeling this way, I'm going to look to this substance, it's going to provide my need. Eventually, if you keep doing that, you will be brought under the power of it. Deuteronomy 5.8. Thou shalt not make thee, any gra- make thee any graven image. So this is something I have to create. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. Eventually, this is what, this is what happens with addiction. And because of that, I would say the fundamental solution to addiction uh, is this, this problem of... Uh, not the solution, but is this answer to the problem of idolatry. The answer, obviously, is not in us. Um, we, we died in the Garden of Eden. We lost life. We didn't have life of our, our own self. We lost communion with God. And that we, we can't supply value or meaning or fulfillment of our own selves. People do that all the time, who, who we wouldn't consider addictive. Uh, but they look for things outside of God to supply those, those needs. Um, life is in Christ. So the, the solution to addiction is life in Christ. Finding your value, your meaning, and your fulfillment in Christ. And looking to him to supply those needs, the, the emotional needs, the things that, that, that drive us to, towards addictive behaviors. And here I have listed uh, several um, references from John, uh, Jesus' sayings. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So if we have life from Christ, we are not going to need to look for meaning, value, or fulfillment, a temporary high from something else. That life, all that we need, will be supplied from Christ. And it's no use replacing an addiction with something other than Christ. Replacing it with another type of addiction. You know, Going from an alcohol problem to the support group, where the support group becomes then your idol, and the thing that gives you value and meaning and fulfillment and... and uh, because that's just you replace one thing with another. And to ultimately, if, if the relationship with God and Christ is not there, then it's the same thing. Um, and here I have the passage from Matthew where uh, Christ talks about when an, unclear, an unclean spirit goes out of a man, and if that place is not filled, and he finds that the unclean spirit comes back and he finds the house empty, he's going to bring seven other spirits more worse than him, and the end is going to be worse than the beginning. So that, that house has to be filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, this is my last slide here. Um, what are some strategies for, for recovery, some, some Christ-centered strategies for recovery? Um, and I would say, first, first of all, um, uh, most important is, or the 
a very fundamental need is accountability, is that you need someone who you are accountable uh, to for any type of addictive behavior that you find that, that of yourself, this is compulsive, you are becoming drawn to this, and you don't seem to have power of yourself to, to overcome it. You need an accountability partner, someone that you are uh, answerable to, that will ask you, how are you doing with this? It's because it's, it's not like you're going to be done with the problem and it will never um, be something to guard against in the future. It should be good that someone comes back to you, you know, a year from now and asks, is this still a problem? Or have you, have you ever had any, any, uh, any relapses or any uh, reoccurrences of this? And the scriptures there are James 5, 16, about confessing your faults one to another, and so on. Uh, secondly, honest communication. When we have these emotions, fear, anger, boredom, we have to be honest about them. We have to communicate them. We have to use the relationships that God has given us to, to address those emotions and to, to, to deal with them in a healthy way. Um, and we need real relationships that are based on grace and not on shame. That, that uh, we'll never be able to shame an addict or, or someone who has this pr- a particular problem into to reformation. It has to be a, a real relationship. Lastly, self-discipline is also needed. The, the, the call of the Christian life is one of, of subjecting your body and, and denying, um, at, denying uh, certain um, desires of your body, putting your body under, as Apostle Paul says, and that's something that we have to learn as Christians. Uh, we have to learn to be crucified. That's all. Thank you, brothers Eric and Eric, um, for sharing that with us. I, looking at my clock, my watch, I see it's 3 o'clock, so I, I really don't want to um, prolong your stay here. If, I, I just was going to suggest if anyone has an interest to maybe further discuss some of the things that the brothers were sharing with us this afternoon, please feel free to stay. I'm going to obligate the brothers here for at least a few minutes to stay behind. Um, and that way you could feel free to come forward and if you had any questions or things you'd like to discuss. But I do want to leave us with uh, two scriptures um, with respect to what we heard. The first scripture in 2 Timothy 3, um, verses 1 and 2, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And as it goes through that list, it says in verse 4, Lovers of pleasure is more than lovers of God. I think that's... Uh, Part of the root we're looking at. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus. So with these words, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for coming. May God bless you.